You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Tom Heathcote, our head of Agri Consultancy. Tom and I had the most brilliant conversation about his vision for the future of the rural sector, why he's so passionate about mentoring people looking to break into the industry, and how he hopes to open up the conversation and break down the stigma surrounding the issues faced by LGBTQ plus people in the property world. Tom began his career as an agri-consultant back in 2007, following a master's degree in rural land and business management at the University of Reading. In 2018, Tom moved to Knight Frank to set up a new agri-consultancy division which sits within our rural asset management team. In his role, Tom advises a variety of private and institutional farming clients throughout the UK on everything from crop rotations and farming systems to tax planning and strategic farm reviews. Tom, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you very much. How are you today? How are things going, especially with the never-ending joys of lockdown still going on? Uh, Yeah, it's going really well, I think. Thank you. I'm just... um... I'm just quite resilient to it all, I think. Just uh, head down and just uh, try and push on through looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, which hopefully is not too long away now. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose with the farming sector, it's been a really weird year because on top of what's going on with COVID, you've had Brexit and the ongoing conversation around like environmentalism and sustainability to contend with. So how's the past year been for you from that perspective? Yeah, it's been a really interesting year, as you say. There's, there's a huge amount of change happening in the sector at the minute, and that's why it's kind of really exciting to be there and be at the forefront of it. I mean, COVID, COVID created some challenges early on, uh, mainly sort of for those sort of the veg and soft fruit industries. But but generally, businesses were pretty resilient to COVID. Um, and actually, now the fact we've got a Brexit trade deal through, again, businesses are are a bit more relaxed now. Um, but it's just been a it's just been a bit of a whirlwind year with highs and lows for farming. But to be honest, that's nothing that's nothing new. The agricultural sector. Um, is used to going through quite turbulent times. This year has been a little bit more um, turbulent, but there's some really exciting, interesting things on the horizon, I think. Mm, absolutely. And we'll definitely go on to talk about the future of the farming sector later on in our conversation. But from a personal perspective, how have you found the past year? Uh, to be honest, I've actually really, um, I've enjoyed it. Um, I've been working from home, which means that I've got a, uh, I've had a good work-life balance. I've been able to spend time um doing other things and so um i've i haven't found it too difficult i've missed seeing friends and family uh, that's been the hardest thing to, of, of all really but um it, to be perfectly honest i think i've i haven't i haven't felt found it too bad i don't think mm, that's so great to hear and i think in a year when it's so easy to kind of see all the negative stuff and get bogged down in that it's lovely to hear a positive story amongst all of that i know i know and, and I, I think i think that um i'm just i think 
myself and my husband is very fortunate in our situation that actually we we don't I suppose one different have have children to be worrying, worrying about or homeschooling um, so I think that's kind of made it made it easier but I do understand it's been a lot harder for, for some than it has for others. Completely. It's really highlighted the huge disparities in all of our lives and the breadth of challenges that we all face during a situation like this. But as I said, it's lovely to hear that you actually had a positive year, despite all the doom and gloom of everything that's been happening. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and so to move us into our conversation, I'd like to take things all the way back to the start and find out how you got to where you are in your career. And much to my embarrassment, I don't know a huge amount about our rural business, but having done a little bit of research, I've realised how immersed in so many different elements of the sector it is. So would you mind giving us a bit of an insight into how you got into this career path in the first place? Yeah, of course. So I, I originally went to Southampton University and studied geography. And during that time, I was fixed on going into the with the Navy. So I had a bursary to join the Royal Navy to go and fly helicopters with them, which was one of my uh, passions at the time. And then uh, during university, I just, I just something, something changed and I, I slightly started questioning whether I wanted to do that or not. Um, and during my uh, holidays at, at Southampton, um, I went and worked on some farms. Uh, I went and did, I went and worked as a lambing student for a while uh, and then did some harvest uh, years, so like, like a harvest student helping uh, on a couple of arable farms, and then, which I really enjoyed, um, and that was my first sort of proper kind of foray into farming and agriculture, I guess. And then when I left Southampton, because I'd realised that I probably didn't want to go into the navy, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, I went and worked on one of those arable farms for a year, and I then went to milk cows on a dairy farm after that for a while. Um, and it was kind of during that sort of period, so post-university, that it made me realise that I really enjoy uh, agriculture and farming, sort of the farming sector, uh, and that's what I want to uh, have a career in. Um, but for me, because I um, because I studied geography originally, that wasn't the best uh, entry into it. So I went to Reading uh, and did a master's there in rural land management, sort of as a conversion, essentially. So I uh, did that for a year and then joined uh, my first firm after that and started my career as a, in agri-consultancy. Mm, that's really interesting. Did you have any background in farming before you decided to go and do those internships and work placements on farms? Or was it that there was like a module at uni around agriculture that you thought, oh, that looks quite interesting and then decided to explore it from there? No, I don't know. It was no no link to uh, geography uh, at all. Uh, I think it was that I've always grown up in the countryside. Lots of my friends are are farmers, and um, I think the f- friends I made quite early on at Southampton were again more farming people by chance. Um, and so I think I just got the I picked up the bug from somewhere because certainly my family is not from a, a farming background, as it were. So I suppose in many ways that slightly uh, is a bit unusual because quite a lot of quite a lot of consultants in one way or another do either they farm at home or they're from farming businesses but um i suppose i'm an outsider from that perspective but that has advantages that um that has advantages as i think so yeah and i suppose you're not so invested in it from a an an emotional perspective for want of a better word if you come at it from a more objective or neutral background well i wouldn't possibly say that i think i am quite i think i i would like to think i am quite invested in it emotionally i think that what it what the one of the main advantages is, is you don't um, you can look at perhaps sometimes at the slightly bigger picture 
without getting drawn into the detail, uh, without getting bogged down in the detail, should I say, or or without sort of being influenced by sort of family members. Um, so many farming businesses are are generational, um, and sometimes they can get a bit stuck just following what the previous generation has done. So I think being, I think actually it's quite, I think it's actually quite useful being outside the industry as it were. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I suppose it's helpful as a consultant to have that more objective perspective on things. And so why did you decide to pursue agri-consultancy rather than perhaps the rural asset management route that's a little bit more well known? Well, when I, when I, when I done my master's, um, the first firm I started with, I did do some uh, rural asset management, so some land agency, um, but um, but only a relatively small amount. And I quickly kind of realized then that actually my real interest and passion was with agri-consultancy and farming rather than sort of more generic land agency, really. Um, and so I've just, uh, as I said, I got slightly hooked and then just I've never really looked back from there. Mm. And so to backtrack a little, I probably should have asked this straight off the bat, but to somebody who has no idea what an agri-consultant is, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what your role actually involves? Yeah, of course. So essentially, we provide consultancy advice to individuals or businesses who operate farming businesses. Um, and those are all sorts of farming businesses from mixed farms, arable, dairy, sheep, beef, whatever that might be. Um, and we help them with everything from day-to-day matters. Uh, so things like crop rotations, staff, machinery, buildings, all of that, right through to uh, strategic tax planning, uh, business strategies, and sort of everything else in the middle. So it's it's a really, really diverse um, job. Um, and you end up knowing, uh, you have your particular areas of sort of specialism, but you end up knowing quite a lot uh, it covers a lot of different areas. Um, so it's fascinating. I love it. Mm, yeah, it does sound really fascinating. And when it came down to deciding whether to be, well, I, I suppose the word, the word generalist sounds a little bit reductive, but what I mean is how did you decide whether you were going to specialise in a particular sector or, as you said, be a bit more of a generalist who was involved in lots of different areas of the industry? I think I was quite fortunate that, that, that uh, earlier in my career I was working for a firm that was uh, that was generalist, as you call it. So I, I gained exposure to to the different sectors, um, and I think that's. And but I'm pleased that I did do that, and that's something that which I have uh, I've stayed and followed uh, through my career and now and tonight, Frank. I think it's um, rather than sort of specialising uh, into and becoming sort of a consultant in a very niche sector. I like the diversity um, that that brings with it. And so to somebody listening who perhaps hadn't considered agri-consultancy as a career before, or indeed actually has aspirations to pursue a similar route, but doesn't quite know where to begin, what advice would you give to them? Mm, Well, I think it's, I mean, we need to be encouraging new people into the industry. So I'm really, really keen to kind of help and support people as much as possible. So I think, I think they need to go and get some experience. So paid or unpaid experience working uh, for uh, with a consultancy firm and uh, lots of lots of firms and we kind of offer that so I think that's really good get some experience and try and understand as you were just talking about kind of what area it is that you may be particularly interested in or would like to go into um, and then I think the key thing really is also to get yourself a mentor um, and to use a mentor to kind of help and guide you through um, 
through that sort of stage really that process of helping get your cv sorted out getting experience uh, preparing for job interviews etc and that's something that that i do um i act as a mentor for sort of a few people uh, trying to get into the industry and i find it incredibly rewarding and satisfying doing that um going and i just sort of just will try and go out of my way to try and uh, help them as much as possible really mm, that's such great advice how did you get into the the mentoring thing um slightly by chance really uh in that i've um a couple of people who were not in the industry but who wanted to get into into the industry got in touch and some of those a couple of those people were people i knew previously um and others have just found me through sort of social media um and have just asked me for advice and it's slightly just going from gone from there and now they've recently sort of a couple of those people have recommended me to someone else um so i don't kind of i don't necessarily advertise it as say as such um that's not to say i wouldn't but um i i just seem to have um people just seem to naturally uh, approach me and so i'm just keen to help them if i can yeah that's lovely to hear and i suppose there is a bit of a link between consulting and mentoring both are offering advice to people and sharing wisdom do you think that there, there is that overlap yeah there, is, there absolutely is and that and that sort of also extends into some of the consultancy work that we do in this um i'm really keen to try and help um and mentor kind of new entrants as we call them so perhaps first-time farmers people who are not from a farming background but want to get into the sector once they're in it they need help to kind of navigate navigate it all um and again i do i do work kind of to help those individuals some of it paid but to be honest the majority of it is not paid uh, but again i just say do it because i think it's really important that we kind of help that next generation get their foot on the ladder and get started in the in the industry Mm, yeah definitely and I suppose it's a bit of a strange time for the agricultural and rural industries I mean speaking from a completely detached perspective I did a politics degree and one of the modules was on animals ethics and how these topics interact with politics and the political agenda and it was all about the rise of veganism and vegetarianism and the impact that's having not only from the kind of the ethical side of the argument but also on the farming communities who are being affected by things such as reduced dairy consumption and sustainability and all that sort of thing. Have you found that that's had a big impact on the industry? And have you seen that that's changed the way that people look at rural careers? I mean, it's certainly had, um, it's certainly having a bit of an impact. Is it altering the way people look on their careers? No, I don't think, I don't think it's going to stop people coming into the sector, but what I do think it is changing is that it's people are coming into it, but with a far greater awareness of, of the issues facing the sector. So like veganism and all around sustainability, which I think are important issues, which needs to be raised. And I think though the next generation coming in are, are people who are far more environmentally savvy and aware. And I use, um, and so they have a real interest in things like where their food comes from, how it's been produced, how it's been reared, what is the carbon footprint of it, has it caused ecosystem destruction, etc. And so I think that um, those people that are coming in as the next generation, as it were, I think it's really important because they bring with them a different perspective. They're going to challenge the sector and the industry in ways that it, in ways that it hasn't been challenged so far, but in my opinion, it, that it needs to be. And looking at it from a research and consultancy perspective, what are the big changes that you're seeing in the industry at the moment? Are you noticing that people are quite willing to move towards a more sustainable agenda and look at new ways of doing things? Or are you finding that there's a bit of resistance within the sector? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I think the reality is it's a mixture of both. 
So I think there are those in the industry who are progressive and forward thinking and they realize that um, the future has got to change one way or another because either because they're facing pressure uh, to do that from uh, trade and regulation or because um, the consumer uh, is demanding it of them so I think we are going to see um, we are going to see change there. So to bring us back onto your career at Knight Frank in particular, you joined the firm in 2018, as I mentioned in your introduction, to set up our agri-consultancy division. How was the experience of moving into a company as big as Knight Frank and setting up an entirely new branch of our rural business? Yeah, well, I have to say, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that that process and I'm still really enjoying my time um, at Knight Frank. I, didn't, I think I had, yeah, there was lots of support um, sort of, before and sort of during that that move um and then i couldn't really have asked for any more help to be perfectly honest it's all gone it's all gone pretty pretty smoothly um it's quite hard work setting up a new a new a new division and um you've got to get i mean the first year was all about getting uh, myself and the team out there so raising um internally and externally raising our profile so that spent a lot that meant a lot of time away um, and traveling across the country uh, visiting existing KF clients trying to get new ones visiting all the local and regional offices um, but it's been hugely it's been hugely fun doing that um, and it's all just about making contacts and connections and the more people you, know, you can get in front of the more they'll hopefully remember you uh, and then the more then hopefully that will just lead to more work in the future so it's been it's been hard work but it's been it's been great fun at the same time and during the process of going and setting up the new consultancy, and as you said, it's been a hell of a lot of hard work. Have you had any moments of almost self-doubt or imposter syndrome or thinking, oh, gosh, this is such an immense amount of responsibility. What am I doing? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I mean, no, I don't think I have to be perfect. I mean, there are times when when I was sort of had been a, away from home for sort of four or five nights a week for two or three weeks on the trot that you think, okay. This is going to go on forever, but you've just got to take the big picture view. It's not going to go on forever. You just got to do the groundwork up front uh, for for this type of thing. So, so no, I think I've been fortunate. I haven't had any imposter syndrome moments there. Amazing. That's so positive to hear. And where do you think that comes from? I suppose I get the impression that you're quite self-assured. And I think that's probably linked to being a consultant because you do have to have that almost quiet confidence in order to be a successful consultant and to get people to subscribe and believe what you're advising them on. But would you say that you're naturally quite a confident and self-assured person? Yeah, I, th I think so. Um, I, yes, I think I am. I'm just, and I think I'm quite enthusiastic and passionate about it. Um, I think one of the things that someone, of something that someone told me very early on in my career, and they said, they said you should never apologise for being over enthusiastic. Um, and so that's something I try and still instill in my team um, around me. So um, yeah. Mm, I love that advice actually, as I think a lot of people are a little bit scared of being over enthusiastic. I think it's a very British thing. Um, this kind of fear of being too keen and keeping all your cards really close to your chest. So I think that's a really refreshing perspective. And how do you go about actually instilling that in your team? How do you help them think differently about things? I think something I learned very early on was that actually you just need to have your team out with you on the ground uh, as much as possible client facing with you because it's in those conversations which they may not understand to begin with or they may only understand bits of it but they un but they then begin to develop a, 
sort of an awareness for what you're talking about, the angles that you're taking on things uh, and the approach. And so for me, it's about trying to get the, make sure you get the, get the team out with you uh, as much as possible. Lots of interaction and also get them um, engaging and sort of reading things that are a little bit different that they might not normally pick up and read, etc. So um, because I'm because I mean, frankly, without without the team, the, the department doesn't exist. And I, and I can't function without a team to help and support me. So you've got to take that view that you've got to have that big picture view that this is, we are one team. There isn't much hierarchy in the team. Yes, I'm, I'm, I run it, but, but everyone, I like to think everyone has an equal voice um, uh, in terms of kind of, in terms of where we're going to go, our direction, engaging with clients, et cetera. Mm, yeah. And I think collaboration is, well, I mean, everybody talks about it, but it really is one of the most important things when it comes to success. And that's something that I've picked up consistently throughout speaking to people on this podcast. And you mentioned there that you are really passionate about getting your team to read. And I suppose that links into the whole idea of being a consultant in that you need to be incredibly up to date and informed on what's going on in the industry and tuned into the market and the latest insights. So how do you go about ensuring you are almost ahead of the game when it comes to these sorts of things so that you are offering the freshest and most up to date perspectives to your clients? I think for me, I, uh, I read a lot of, well, I read a lot, and I, but I read and focus a lot about what actually is going on across, not in necessarily in the UK. You've got to have an understanding of what's happening in the UK, but actually a lot of my ideas and stuff I get from looking at what's happening in at agriculture in, in Europe, in Australia, uh, in the United States. Um, and, and particularly when it comes to sort of tech and new systems, et cetera, the UK has historically been quite behind the curve in certain areas. Um, and other countries are further ahead. So I tend to read kind of quite broad uh, and what's happening across the globe and then try and kind of pull all that back to see kind of how we can use that in the in the UK. Because I think that's just a bit different, frankly. Um, and that's kind of what I like to try and, try and do and be. Mm, yeah, I think it is all about, and I suppose with any industry, it's about looking externally. And it's, I think it's so easy to become too insular when it comes to your research and perspectives. But actually, sometimes just looking outwards can give you those fresh perspectives that you'd never even considered before. And I think this links quite nicely into the topic of digital profiles and social media. So I'm interested to know whether you feel that having a digital profile, be that through social media such as Instagram and LinkedIn or just generally engaging with people in the online space is important for being successful in your sector I do think it's important but I don't think it's I don't think it's vital I think actually what's more important is to be is to get in front of an individual and to start speaking to them and interacting with them so so yeah so I use LinkedIn to sort of post about things that I think are interesting and that are topical and then actually when someone engages with me on that, we'll have a conversation probably briefly on there, but actually then I just pick up the phone and talk to them or they pick up the phone more often than not and speak to me about it. Um, I don't think you can beat an actual conversation with with someone. I think one of the risks with social media is that um, it, it can sometimes bring out the worst in people. Um, and I think things can get misconstrued and not explained sufficiently. So for me, I think it's a useful tool but I think I think we mustn't over rely on it. 
Mm, yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think with social media, it does always come back ultimately to that balance. And you've mentioned this a couple of times when you were discussing how you got into the industry. But you've spoken about how important getting in front of people is and having those in-person connections. So I'd be interested to to ask you whether you think that in order to be, I mean, not necessarily successful, as I think there's myriad definitions of success, and it can be a little bit re- reductive to describe it like that. But do you think that it's important for anyone in the rural industry, especially in the agri-consultancy sector, to have had that experience like you've had on farms and to get an insight into how the industry works on a more practical and tangible level, being around farmers and people that are actually at, I suppose, the coal phase, for want of a better word? Yeah, I do. I, I, I do think that's important. I do think you need to have a form of a practical um understanding because because when you're sat at the kitchen table uh, or in the boardroom with a farmer or a farm director um, they'll very quickly see through you if you don't know what you're talking about that said I mean if you just come back to uh, to me for example I mean I'm not from a farming background and I um, and yes I've worked and done harvest years and milk cows and stuff but 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 only for a very short kind of time in my life and my career really and yet I've I've succeeded and got to where I've got to so I think it is important, but I don't think um, it is important, but it's not it's not critical to have had, I don't think, years and years of experience. And I suppose that COVID will have impacted the way that you communicate with your clients. Have you found that it's actually been harder or easier to have not been able to go out and speak to your clients in person? Uh, harder in many in many respects in that um, I, I like being in front of my clients, I like seeing my clients interacting with them, engaging with them um, and from going from doing that a lot to sort of stopping suddenly pretty well overnight the face-to-face contact that was quite hard obviously you follow up with whatever means you've got available so be that doing more zoom calls or just on whatsapp or talking on the phone but it's not quite the same as actually sitting in front of someone and talking to them but it's not going to be forever um and the relationships obviously uh, a strong relationship so you maintain them over this period and then come the spring hopefully we'll be back out um, with our clients again yeah exactly as much as it's increased the amount of ways we're able to communicate with people it's still never going to be comparable to that in-person communication and to change the topic completely and bring us on to something that you've discussed both internally and externally at Night Frank before is that last year you were an excellent article for our website as part of National Coming Out Day and you spoke about your experiences as a gay man within the property industry and this is something that I don't think is spoken about anywhere near enough within this sector but is LGBTQ plus activism something that you've always been passionate about incorporating into your professional life or is it something that's come as a result of not seeing the property industry doing enough to be an inclusive place for those within that community? Yeah it's um I think it's fair to say that it's something that's that has come about uh as I've moved through my career um and I think it's partly because um, I do see instances where sadly the industry uh, is a bit behind the curve on certain things um, and, but also I feel also that I've kind of um, KF has given me sort of a really good platform to help with some targeted activism if we call it that uh, and that's why I'm uh, I'm trying to do trying to do more uh, in that area really it's something I feel really passionate about as I said the industry that I operate in um, there are some great examples of forward thinking and um, balance and diversity out there, but there are also, unfortunately, still uh, still some issues which it faces. Um, and we need to we need to sort of 
help and work with those individuals that have those issues to try and kind of find some middle ground and try and move and try and move it forward. So if I can help uh, be a voice, be a role model, whatever it might be for uh, those people who are openly gay or those people who are who can't be for whatever reason, then I'm absolutely I'm really keen to to help with that. And and that article which you you kind of refer to was just sort of part of that kind of just trying to um, help raise the profile of of the sector um, and of LGBTQ plus within it really. I think it's an amazing thing to be doing and we really do need as many people as possible to be activists within their particular interests be that LGBTQ plus issues or mental health or religious diversity I think the more people we have talking about these issues the more it normalizes them and makes people feel comfortable to be their complete selves without that fear of judgment. I mean I was watching Country Fell last night partly in research for this interview but also because I'm secretly a massive country farm fan, but I digress. And they were talking about the impact of COVID on the, the farming industry from a mental health perspective. And someone was saying that because the industry is typically made up of quite a lot of older men who are, without meaning to sound at all demeaning or dismissive, a little bit more traditional in their thinking, and so don't naturally feel inclined to talk about these things. So the more you can have those conversations from within the industry, the better. But for you, what would you say are your biggest passions in terms of improving the industry going forward and what do you envisage your activism achieving oh, that's a very good question uh i think um i think sort of balance and diversity is is would be key for me i think there needs to be um if we can have if we can have achieved kind of a greater acceptance of of people being them being individuals without trying to label them in any way i think that would be uh, i think that would be fantastic to be perfectly honest, um, I mean, to, I think I'm very fortunate that I've never really had any any direct issues from it, um, and my clients just take me for who I am. Really, my sexuality is totally irrelevant to it, but it isn't for all. Um, and so, I think if we can get the majority, if we, it'd be amazing if during my career we reach the stage that, and the majority of people are like I am, I suppose, and that they've they don't suffer really any prejudice, uh, and people. And their clients and their colleagues and other people in the industry don't really worry about who they are. I think if we can kind of reach that stage, that would be fantastic. There's a bit of work to do to get there. It's also, I think it's also just worth saying it's, um, there will be some um, who cannot accept it, cannot accept LGBTQ+, for, for whatever reason, for religious reasons, or just sort of deep sort of personal views. And we have to make sure that we kind of respect those individuals. Uh, those views it's not about trying to force or push anything on them which they're not comfortable with uh, it's just about making sure that they understand um, our perspective I suppose if you want to call it that we will understand their perspective and then uh, we'll agree to disagree on on certain things perhaps um, I think it's important that this isn't this that this uh, is done in a sort of a relatively kind of controlled and kind of structured way I think Mm, yeah it's having that degree of compassion and while I believe it's incredibly important to get to that place where as you said everyone feels accepted and everyone feels that their sexuality won't impact upon the way they're perceived or their career or anything like that at the moment it seems like it's about reaching a place where everybody is just generally more compassionate towards each other and to divert the conversation while still keeping it um, personal this podcast is called At Home With and so 
our listeners are always really keen to know more about your own property stories and experiences. So would you mind giving us a little bit of an insight into what you were looking for when you were searching for your home and what it was about the property that sold it to you? Uh, okay, so we were looking for uh, a bigger garden. So we, we were in a, a terraced uh, house before um, we were looking for a detached house uh, with a bigger garden and one that was a project. So um, we bought a 1950s house which was not that attractive but it was on a good plot uh, in the right village and location um, and so we then set about I mean demolishing it and to be perfectly honest uh, we left the four walls but that was about it and no roof the roof came off and but we should have demolished it um, and just built from scratch so but we did a major major restoration on it um, built a decent extension on the side of it um, and now it's an amazing house for us amazing i think that's a lot of people's dream at the moment <laughs> and i mean touching on lockdown because it's such a pervasive topic in all of our lives um but so many people over the past year have been looking at restoration projects i imagine just to kind of give us something to do but when it came to restoring the property what sort of vision did you have for it did you have an idea of what you wanted or was it more of an evolutionary process i think we did quite a lot of research uh, between us i think we knew what we wanted and a certain amount of it i think with all these projects just evolves as you go as you go along i think we i think we yeah i mean we focused on kind of key kind of decent sort of rooms for us that we knew we wanted and make sure we had the layout right in those but the rest kind of were total kind of blank canvases once the builders left we were just left with plastered rooms for us to kind of to be imaginative and creative in which is half the fun of it really so you can kind of do what you you can do what you like you can be a bit be a bit outlandish a bit alternative in there but so what it's our it's our room and so we enjoy them yeah, absolutely. It's all about that creative freedom and getting to put your own stamp on something. And obviously being in the rural property sector, were you looking for something that encompassed that too? Something perhaps near farms or deep in the countryside? Or did you want to get as far away from the farms <laughs> as possible, keep the professional and the personal separate? Uh, no, I think for us, it's just about, um, we just said we needed more space. And so we've got, a, we're really fortunate. We've got a big garden here. We've got big veg packs, place for the dog to run around, uh, lots of walks. Um, so it it um it it works well for it works well for us. Our next project will be will be something more uh, more remote. So a, a house, an old house. We want an old property next out in the countryside, surrounded by a little bit of land, um, so we can be more self sufficient. Amazing. And looking back on your career, what would you say has been your most interesting or exciting client experience or career moment to date? I think there's probably. I think there's probably a couple. Um, one of which was was helping a farming business sort of uh, that was just a, a very kind of intense arable farm that was pretty pretty boring, pretty marginal sort of performance, and helping that uh, change its farming systems, its practices, its operations to become one that's a lot more sustainable. So we set up and established a suckler herd of cows on there. We set up a new sheep flock, got that all integrated, um, did a huge amount on from sort of uh, from a biodiversity point of view, planting lots of new trees, lots of new woodlands, and then kind of integrating all of the all of those individual operations together. So inter integrating all that, uh, all the uh, livestock into the arable rotations into the woodland. That was um, that was something I did quite early on in my career, which um, which sort of underpin kind of all of my interest all in sort of regenerative agriculture and sustainable sort of farming systems, which I kind of practice today. Um, and then that was I don't know, 10 years ago, but then 
we're involved in a really interesting project at the moment um, to give you an idea of the diversity of the jobs we do on the Isle of Wight, where we have a where we have a client who has a who has a farm that's very difficult to farm. It's 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 challenging soil and ground conditions, um, and it it has on it um, one of the UK's oldest deer parks, which is really exciting. It dates. Uh, it's referenced in the Doomsday Book, um, and we are we have managed to secure quite a lot of government funding to help with the restoration of that deer park. Um, which is which is really really exciting and then changing all the farming systems sort of around it but um to be involved in kind of something like that which is sort of the restoration of something really historical and and sort of linked to farming is hugely exciting so i'm really looking forward to kind of how that project's going to uh, progress over the rest of this year wow yeah they're both amazing stories especially that second one it must be so fascinating work on a project that's so steeped in history and i mean i'm a bit of a history nerd so that immediately <laughs> jumps out to me something that's really cool and obviously there we've spoken about what you're working on at the moment but looking forward to the next 10 20 30 years what is your vision for the future of the rural sector i think the sector as a whole is is facing quite a lot of of challenges uh, at at the moment, we're facing sort of lots of questions all around food production, food security. Um, farming businesses are, are unfortunately, some of them becoming unviable. There's a lot of issues all around climate change, kind of human health and social uh, well-being, and the industry is is facing all of these um, and more. And we've got we've really got to think about how we're going to address these. And to me. One of the key things which I'm really passionate about is all to do is all around kind of the interconnectivity of farming systems. So at the moment, um, successive kind of government policy is always kind of focused on individual things. So it's focused on farming policy. It's looked at um, it's looked at soil issues. It's looked at climate change, but it's never kind of tried to draw all those things together, which I think is really important where we're really missing a trick. So what I really hope is that we can have a future farming policy that actually looks and understands this whole issue around um, interconnectivity. So I'll give you a really quick example. So for example, if we have sort of sustainable farming systems, they produce um, really healthy soil. So that, that healthy soil, um, then translates through to what is grown or reared on it. So you then end up with producing what we call that nutritionally dense food. That then goes into the um, into the food chain, and that improves individuals' um, health, which then then reduces reliance on uh, the health service. It also leads to more kind of uh, economically kind of and financially resilient farming businesses. It's better for the environment, etc. So. That's something that I really, I feel really passionate about, and I really hope that as a farming, as a sector, we can kind of work towards this whole interconnectivity. So understanding that we can't view issues in isolation from one another. They are the solute. We've got to understand that we've got to um, embrace all of these issues and and try and tackle them as one. And then I think if we can crack that whole issue around interconnectivity and coexistence, then we'll have an amazing, resilient agricultural sector moving forward. Amazing. That's so interesting. And as somebody who knew absolutely nothing, aside from the stuff I've gleaned from my obsessive country file watching about the rural sector before this interview and the research I did for it, I feel like I want to go away and keep reading up on this. So thank you so much. I found this so interesting. But to begin to wrap up the podcast, we do a quick fire round. And the first question of which is classic or contemporary? Classic. Farmhouse or townhouse? Farmhouse. Cool or email? Cool. Office or working from home? Working from home. Instagram or LinkedIn? Instagram. Walk or run? 
walk. And finally, I thought this is going to be quite an easy one. City or country? Country. <laughs> Amazing. And the final question that we ask everybody is that now in our 125th year as Knight Frank, what does being a partner in property mean to you? I'm going to answer this with an example. So it's all about trust. So I've recently had two clients who have referred me to their friends without even telling me because they've got such confidence and trust in me. And so to me, that symbolizes what a partner in property is. Fantastic, Tom. This has been so interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.